Let's spend some time in prayer together, just meeting with the Lord, giving our hearts afresh to Him. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come into Your presence with thanksgiving and praise tonight and thanking You for, for who You are. Thank You that Your mercies are new every morning because we sure need them to be new each and every morning. Thank You that great is Your faithfulness, that Your faithfulness is greater than any trial and difficulty that we go through. Thank You for Your power, that nothing's impossible for You, nothing challenges You. Thank You that You don't slumber or or sleep. Thank You that You don't change, that we don't have to try to anticipate what curveball You might be throwing our way, that truth doesn't change. We rejoice in the fact that You're, You're truthful. And God, we want to lift up to you our, our missionaries, and we want to lift up Mexico and Morocco and Uganda, and just ask that you would be gracious to Sean and Lisa and the missionary team there, and Nolan and Marie and Juarez, and over in Morocco with Brett and Allison, that you would give them strength, and thank you for your favor with them. In Uganda, the, the pastors that are there, and Pastor Charles, and as countries come to your heart and mind, and missionaries, just lift them up to the Lord, and We know that God hears our prayer in their behalf. Father, we want our hearts to just be attentive to the fact that there's so many that don't know you as our Savior, so many that are lost in in our community, in our lives, and we just want to lift up the family members that we have and the friends and co-workers and neighbors that don't know Christ. And as God brings hearts to your mind, just lift them up to the Lord. Father, we also just pray for children's ministry. Thank you for all of the kids that are gathered. And Lord, we just pray that you would be strengthening them, ministering to them as they face temptation, that you would deliver them from the evil one, that you would guide them, that you would root them and ground them in your truth. As the elementary age kids are memorizing scripture, that you would just allow your word to be planted deep within them. We pray for the middle school students, that you'd bless Eric as he leads them, that you'd pour out your spirit upon them. Father, that you would raise up mighty men and women of God. We thank you for the high school students, Lord, and we we just ask that you would bless them at their upcoming retreat, that you would keep them safe, give them just safe travels on the road, but also that it would be a a landmark time for them, that each kid that you want to be there will, will be there, that you would bless the speakers and give them the messages, bless the leaders, bless James as he works and serves in high school. And Lord, we just love you. We're we're hungry for you tonight. We thank you for the example that Daniel is. We pray that we would follow that example, that we'd be men and women of prayer and men and women of consistency, faithfully serving you. Where there needs to be conviction, would you bring it? Where there needs to be comfort, would you bring it? In Jesus' name, amen. Calvin Edwin Ripken Jr., better known as Cal Ripken Jr., nicknamed the Iron Man because he's played the most consecutive games. His record, 2,632 straight games. That spans over 17 years. 17 years, 17 seasons without missing a ball game. That record still stands. He beat Lou Gehrig's record to do that. There was lots of days where he just got up and played baseball out of consistency, out of faithfulness, not regarding how his body felt. Well, Daniel is Mr. Consistency of the Bible. Mr. Consistency of the Bible. We've seen that he came to Babylon at early age, and as he was there in in Babylon, he purposed in his heart to not defile himself before God, resisting the king's meat, the king's diet, the king's delicacies, God really used him and poured out his favor upon him. He ministers to Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar. Now the Babylonian Empire is no longer on the scene. We saw that last week. The Medes and the Persians have taken control. Almost 70 years that Israel has been in captivity. 
And here, Daniel has been faithful, estimated to be about 85 years old. If he was 15 years old when he went into captivity, he's now 85 years old or so. There's no sin that's recorded about Daniel. Makes him unique also, like Joseph. I'm sure they were sinners and they did fall short, but there's no sin that is recorded about them. We think about David, of course, and his sin is recorded. We think about Peter and some of the sin that he committed. Even as we've been studying in Luke, John the disciple, some of his selfishness that's recorded there for us in Scripture. But here, Daniel and Joseph, there's no sin that's recorded of them. And we find much of Daniel's characteristics in this chapter 6. If you're taking notes, there's five noteworthy characteristics. And we'll go through these as we travel through this chapter. But let me just give them to you so when we come up on them, hopefully they'll ring a bell. First is he's excellent in spirit. We're going to see that. And then integrity and faithfulness. And then prayer and confidence in God. So excellent in spirit, integrity, faithfulness, prayer, and confidence in God. So verse 1 of chapter 6. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 saw traps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, three governors of whom Daniel was one, was one that the satraps might give an account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Darius. There's some speculation over the identity of Darius. Some say Darius is another name for Cyrus, which could be a possibility, or that Darius is one of Cyrus's commanders. Probably the most likely possibility is Darius is the commander over the Medes and Cyrus is the commander over the Persians because we see the Medes and the Persians ruling and reigning together to take over the Babylonians. And let's fast forward to verse 28. It gives us a little bit more insight on this. Of same chapter, Daniel 6, verse 28. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So to me, it's pretty clear we're talking about two guys here. Two individuals that Darius is one and Cyrus is another. We'll talk about Cyrus more at the end of the chapter. It's my personal view that Darius was probably the leader of the Medes and Cyrus was the leader of the Persians. So let's go back and consider these first two verses that we read. Verses 1 and 2. It's amazing to me, time and time again, with different leaders, how God raises up Daniel to be in a position of power. Almost to the point where Daniel must be going instant replay, right? Here he goes with Nebuchadnezzar. Boom, he's placed it in power. Belshazzar, he's brought in at a critical time. He speaks into Belshazzar's life. And then here comes Darius. What do you find? Daniel's in a position of power once again. God's just pouring out his favor and his grace upon Daniel to allow him to be in these positions of leadership. Look at verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and saw traps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. He's one of these governors that are overseeing the officers, but now there's this consideration where he's going to be put in charge of the whole realm. He's going to be the the vice president, if you would. And the reason why is he's distinguished himself because he was excellent in spirit. And this word excellent, it means that he was surpassing extraordinary. The idea of his personality and his spirit and the way that he saw life, he was the kind of person that you wanted to be around. And again, he's most likely in his 80s. And it's very easy, the older and older we get, the more grumpy we become, right? And you think of an 85-year-old man, his body aches, he's already been taken captive as a young man, lived all of these years. We have no record of Daniel ever getting married, Daniel ever having a family, having kids. Some of those things may have been stripped away from him because he was a captive. But yet he's got an excellent attitude. He's got an excellent spirit about him. Swindoll says that life is really summed up in attitudes. That life can really be summed up in just 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how we respond to it. But we don't live our wet life like that too many times. We think, oh man, the circumstances are so bad. Look at this. I've been stripped away from my homeland. I'm away from all of my friends. I'm a slave here. How how could I ever have a fruitful life? 
How could this ever be God's will? But Daniel displays great attitudes in the midst of great opposition to the point where he stands out from everybody else. And I think that when it comes to our Christian life and our relationship with God, it should translate in our attitude. In our attitude when we're at work, our attitude with our family, an overwhelming demeanor, an excellent spirit, a spirit of rejoicing, a spirit of understanding who the Lord is. And as I study uh, Daniel's life, I go, Lord, it would be great to have this. Wouldn't it be great to be a person like this? To where God just blesses us with one of those excellent spirits where we choose to be thankful and someone can look at our life and go, there's something different about you. But it was for this reason that Darius is considering putting him in charge of everybody else because of his excellent spirit. It wasn't his experience. It wasn't his faithfulness, his integrity, which he possessed, but it was his excellent spirit. He had a contagious spirit about him where Darius is saying, I want this guy to be in charge. What he has in his attitude, what he has in his spirit, I want everybody else to have around him. I do think this is a choice because it's much easier to grumble and complain. It's just, it's, I think I've got the gift of grumbling and complaining, right? It, it must be a spiritual gift, you know? It, we tend to view it that way. I'm the pessimist of the group. I've got to make people see things the way they really are and be realistic and those type of things. As we are God's child, to be able to rejoice in Him having this excellent spirit. So that's number one. A noteworthy characteristic is an excellent spirit. And verse four. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charges against Daniel concerning the kingdom. So these men come together to thwart the plan of Daniel having more power. They don't want this guy to be in power. They don't want this 85-year-old man to be in power. They want to climb the ladder. Certain of these men, they want the position. And so they're going to try to do Daniel in. Remember what Paul writes to Timothy? All those who live godly, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You won't always have admirers for having an excellent spirit. (laughs) There'll be some of you that say, you know, you're... Attitude of gratitude really points out how much I'm a grumbler and a complainer. I just wish that you weren't around here anymore. The way that you serve with faithfulness and you go 100% at everything that you do, it sure points out the 80% in my sloppy attitude towards my work. I don't want to have one of those Christians as my boss. That's going to take all the fun right out of this place. So these are the kind of conversations that these men are having So they've got to find a reason for Daniel to not get promoted. Maybe even better, that he gets demoted. Notice what happens, though. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. And this brings us to our next two characteristics, and it's integrity. They could find no charge or fault. Imagine this, no corruption in government. (laughs) Wow, this is amazing. Sarcasm. All right, I'm being, I'm being sarcastic. I know it's a little cold outside, but we do see a lot of corruption in government, don't we? But it's not just in government. It's in the church. It's in the family. It's, it's amongst believers, corruption. It seems like there's this huge vacuum and void for integrity. I'm just imagining and picturing a little bit what the Babylonian Empire was like and then the Medes and the Persians, but it was probably pretty rare to have integrity as well. But there's no corruption that they can find. There's no fault that can be found. A dictionary definition of integrity is an adherence to moral and ethical principles, soundness of moral character, honesty. A moral code. Obviously, Daniel's is his faithfulness unto God. How about for us? Is there integrity in our lives? These men were going through Daniel's life with a fine toothed comb. (laughs) Couthed. Toothed comb. Looking for every detail that they could possibly pull up about Daniel's secrets, but they found none. What's on our computers? What's our music like? What's our choice of movies? What's our language like? Who are we really? The test of it's not here in this place. This is an easy place for us to pursue the things of God. It's who are we when we're alone? Who are we when we 
drive back to the privacy of our houses? Who are we in our car? Who are we when we think that no one's looking? Daniel's life is one of consistency. His life's not a fireworks show. It's not just this burst of brilliance. But getting up day after day, walking in the ways of God. This is something to aspire to. This is something to grow in. As this shows the cracks of integrity to respond in repentance to God, not just brushing them off. Living in such a way that there's no secrets, there's no skeletons in the closet. You don't have to worry about someone finding out about this or finding out about that. Daniel had none of that. He lived in a way that was above reproach. And that's the second characteristic, was integrity. But also he was faithful. It says he was faithful. Dictionary definition of faithful is one who is strict or thorough in performance of duty. You'd think at 85 years old, you'd tend to slack off a little bit, especially after serving in another country, in Babylon, now with the Medes and the Persians. What was his assignment? To make sure that Darius didn't lose any money. That was his job. This pagan ruler. No indication of a relationship with God. He could have probably thought of a thousand reasons why this isn't important for the kingdom of God. (laughs) Tried to ultra-spiritualize it, but he knew that worship was found in his faithfulness. Colossians 3 tells us, whatever your hands find to do, do it unto the Lord. Work is worship. And in the midst of our work, to do it to God. If you've got young kids, serve them as unto the Lord. If you find your job to be monotonous, do it unto the Lord. If you've got the best job that ever exists on the face of the earth, do it unto the Lord. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it unto the Lord. And that's a characteristic of Daniel, is that he was thorough. He was strict in the performance of his duty. He was faithful. This faithfulness goes a long way. Again, this void, this vacuum in our culture and our society when it comes to integrity and excellent spirit and faithfulness. Look at verse 5 with me. And these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. What a compliment. That's meant to be a real slam upon Daniel. Well, his only weakness is his obedience to God. We found his fault. He's going to obey God. (laughs) Isn't that a great thing to be known for? Really gives us an idea of who Daniel was. Verse 6, So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. You ever hear someone say that? Run for your life. (laughs) We've seen that several times in the book of Daniel where the person's in charge. So here comes these men into the presence of the king and they're thronging him. O king, live forever, buttering him up. Verse 7, And the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, the advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree. So they've all gotten together, got a consensus here. We need to have this firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. They know the king's weak spot, which is pride. This is going to sound good to Darius. That you know what? No one can pray to any false god. No one can pray to any other man. If they have a petition, they're going to have to bring it to me. I don't know about that, but wow. That doesn't sound very attractive. To have everyone bring their problems or petitions, how they're overwhelmed to a man. Notice what it says there in verse 7. It says, you can't pray to any god or man. Why would someone pray to a man? Why do we worship a man? Why do we put a man on a pedestal? Sometimes in so-called praying to God, we're actually trying to communicate to a person. Like a young child praying before bed saying, God, thank you so much for mommy and daddy and brother and baby sister. And Lord, please give me a new bike and an extra loud voice. And mom says, why did you say that last part so loud? Because I wanted to make sure that daddy would hear me. (laughs) I wanted to make sure dad knew that I needed a a new bike. You know, sometimes people have a problem with you and you don't know it until you get into a prayer meeting. (laughs) 
you get into a prayer meeting, you realize they're praying to me, not to God. They're, they have a problem with me right now, you know. God, I'm so hurt at the person across the circle, <laughs> you know. And we make this mistake of making our prayers be before men and, instead of before God. We go on in verse 8. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. They're setting this all up. We know Daniel's going to pray. We're going to make this law that you can't pray to anybody but Darius. Then Darius might want to have second thoughts about this, when it could mean that someone's going to have to go to the den of lions. So we're going to make it a law, so that even if Darius wants to break it, he can't. So verse 9, therefore King Darius signed the written decree. How does Daniel respond? It brings us to the fourth characteristic. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. We're going to break down this verse, but it brings us to the fourth point in its prayer. Daniel was a man of prayer. I believe that this is the secret from which the other characteristics are birthed. It was Daniel's prayer life which then allowed him to have an excellent spirit. This excellent spirit was birthed during these times of prayer. It was his fellowship and communion with God that then resulted in integrity. It was his worship to God and giving thanks and communion with God that resulted in faithfulness. So let's look at this verse in detail. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and what did he do? He prayed. Even though praying could mean his death sentence, could mean that he would face the den of lions. He fears God, not men. Prayer was more important to him even than his very life. And that shows us the importance of prayer. And when it comes to pleasing God, if someone comes into our life and says, look, you can't do this or else, who do we live for? We live for God. If someone comes to us and says, you know what, you can't share the gospel, and if you do, you're going to lose your job. Well, what does God tell us to do? He tells us to share the gospel. We see times in the book of Acts where they were told, look, you cannot preach in Jesus' name. Oh, what'd they do? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, guess we're not supposed to do this. They say, no, we got to please God, not men. And Daniel wasn't going to shrink back just because there's this decree that if you pray, you're going to die. So he knows it. He knows it full well. He goes home, upstairs, opens the windows, <laughs> gets on his knees, faces Jerusalem, and begins to pray. It would have been very easy for Daniel to go, I'm just going to kind of do one of those silent prayers. I'm going to lay down in my bed. Everybody's going to think I'm taking a nap. But in my heart and my mind, I'm going to pray. Are those prayers just as valuable to God? Yes, they are. He could have completely gotten away with it. But he knew in his heart, this was his custom. He prayed three times a day on his knees, and he was going to do it no matter what. So he feared God over men. He goes home and he prays. And it says that he knelt down on his knees. So let's talk about that a little bit. He gets down on his knees. Why is that important? Because getting down on our knees, it shows that our heart is submitted to God. It's an outward expression of the condition of our hearts, or the position of our hearts. We're surrendering our heart to God. We're submitting our heart to God. Just as lifting our hands to God in worship is an outward expression of our hearts, of saying, Lord, I'm surrendered to you. God, I, I love you. I'm giving it all to you. It's a, it's a biblical expression of the condition of our hearts. You know, there's very few people that you'll kneel down to, that you'll kneel down before, and it does so show submission, but it also shows respect, and it shows, shows awe. And there's something that happens in our hearts and our lives when we choose to get on our knees before God, we're putting ourselves in a humble place before an awesome, powerful, loving, and wonderful God. And as the Spirit of God moves on your heart, I would encourage you to do this, to kneel in a private place before God. Kneel in your room before God. Kneel where 
you feel led to kneel. There's times here in this sanctuary we, we kneel before the Lord. And taking communion tonight, if you feel led to go back to a place in the sanctuary and, and kneel before God. But he chooses this posture of prayer because it's an expression of the condition of his heart. And then he prays three times a day. And he gives thanks. He sets a schedule. Three times a day, I'm going to pray. And it's important for us when it comes to prayer to get into a, a habit and routine of prayer and of thanksgiving. Now, he's also facing towards Jerusalem, and why is that? Does he think that there's something where God hears him more if he's faced towards Jerusalem? I think this shows his heart for the promised land. He's holding on to and realizing that they're just pilgrims here in captivity under the Medes and the Persians. There were some Israelites that never wanted to go back to the promised land. Daniel doesn't want to make that mistake, so he points himself back to the promised land. Notice the end of the verse, and was his custom since early days. I like this. Daniel got in a pattern early on. God got a hold of his life as a young man. He purposed in his heart to not defile himself before God, and he chose, you know what, I'm going to put some habits in place. I'm going to make it my custom. I'm going to make it my routine to be in prayer with God three times a day, multiple times a day. Studies show if you do something 21 days in a row, it becomes a habit. 21 times. It becomes your routine. It becomes your habit. Brush your teeth. You don't have to think about it anymore. You just do it, hopefully. (laughs) Because you've done it 21 days in a row. Eating breakfast, lunch, dinner, habits. We have good habits. We have bad habits. And so to say, I'm going to make it my custom to fellowship with God. And some people say, well, if I make it a habit, if I make it custom, then it loses the relationship. It loses the heart behind it. Not necessarily. You know, marriages are built on good habits. <laughs> and it doesn't lose anything if you schedule aside, say, this is date night. We're going we're gonna to have date night. It's our custom to do this once a week. We actually talk every day. You know, this is our custom. We do this. It doesn't lose relationship. It enhances relationship. But if we don't make it a habit, if it doesn't become our custom, then it can easily not happen. Now, before we go on to the next verse, I want to talk about prayer just a little bit more in depth, because I think we would all agree that this is what really makes Daniel's life special. It's his relationship with God and prayer. And we want to pray more. I want to pray more. But yet we struggle with prayer. I struggle with prayer. It's challenging. I find this inspiring to say, I want to pray more. I want to be a person like David that has, or excuse me, Daniel, that has time set aside to pray. So what are the principles in prayer? And this may be a review for some or for others. It may be brand new. You're saying, I want to pray, but I don't even know where to begin. You know, a lot of times I I start praying and then 30 seconds I'm done and I've, I've seemed to have hit my limits on prayer. You may want to write this down and look it up later, but it's Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. And Jesus gives this section of Scripture to his disciples and teaching them how to pray. They come to him and say, Lord, we want to know how to pray. And he says, pray in this manner. So there's important principles for us. And the first is relationship. It begins with our Father. And when we're talking to God... We need to understand that prayer is all about relationship. We examine and we try to think through, well, why do we pray? God is sovereign. He's going to do what He wants, but yet He responds to prayer throughout Scripture. So if God's sovereign, then why should I pray? And we're looking for all of the intellectual reasons to pray, but it begins with relationship. Our Father. You talk to people you love. You listen to people you love. And prayer, first and foremost, is about drawing near to God and allowing Him to speak to us. Abba, Father. This is a good way to begin our prayers, is our Father. I mentioned it a little bit this weekend in the services that it seems to be difficult to address God in those terms of Daddy, our Father. It's a lot easier to refer to Him as God, which He is, to to refer to His power, to refer to His majesty, but for Him to be personal in our lives. So this is where we want to start, is our Father. goes from relationship to adoration. How would be your name? Talking about who God is. When we talk about His name, it's His character and His nature. So we want to spend some time just in adoration to God. God, thank you so much that you're gracious. 
that you're long-suffering, that you're patient, that you're just. Thank you that you're present in my life, that you'll never leave me or, or forsake me in this adoration to God. And if we rush right to the petition, we've missed something. If we forget who God is, that affects the petition that we bring to Him. Oftentimes, we find ourselves really refreshed in adoration. Just, hallowed be your name. And then, your will be done, your kingdom come. And this is submission. This is an important part of prayer. Prayer necessarily isn't to get our will done up in heaven. Thank goodness, right? (laughs) You know, what we want, ultimately, times is not good for us. And so, say, Lord... This isn't about my will, but this is about your will. I want your will to be done in my life, in this situation. That's an important part of prayer. Submission. But then dependency. Give us this day our daily bread. And this is where you want to lift up daily needs. And life is very much daily, isn't it? Just daily needs. It doesn't say, ask for the needs of the month. Ask for the needs of the year. You know, it doesn't say... Ask for all of these things laid out. Just what do you need today? And note daily needs for others, but also for yourself. Do you have a difficult time lifting up your own needs before God? Have you ever been told it's unspiritual? It's selfish to pray for needs in your own life? Well, Jesus told us to. (laughs) Jesus said, come to him for our daily bread. Do you scold your kids and they say, hey, can I have a glass of milk? Hey, Dad, can I have a glass of milk? You selfish kid, what's wrong with you? You know, what makes you think you can ask me for a glass of milk? So it's a relationship. It's okay to come to God for needs in your life and needs of others. Daily bread, it's dependency. Then forgiveness. This is really important to God, forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. Okay, God, where am I sinning against you? A healthy dose of confession in our prayer to God. But then it goes on to say, forgive those that have sinned against us. So we're going to receive God's forgiveness, but we're also going to extend it. It's unfair for us to receive it if we're not going to extend it. So forgiveness, guidance, lead us not into temptation. That's a wise thing to pray, isn't it? God, just keep me out of temptation. I don't even want to be in temptation. I know you'll provide a way out of temptation, but I don't even want to be in it. So lead us not into temptation, and then deliver us from the evil one. We have an adversary who's alive and well. And there's this aspect of prayer of deliverance, of God, deliver us from the evil one. So relationship, adoration, submission, dependence, forgiveness, guidance, deliverance, Matthew 6. Just to read through Matthew 6, verse 9, going down through the next few verses, making that prayer your own. So those are the principles in prayer, but how about the obstacles? I mean, what keeps us from from praying? I almost wish we could raise hands and you just take some dialogue right now, because I'm I'm hoping a lot of things are coming to mind, or what are obstacles? These are some things that come to my mind. One is a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle. Why is it so difficult to pray? Satan doesn't want us praying. The moment that we endeavor to pray, it seems like we get distracted, the phone rings, the kids start fighting, all of these things start happening. There is a spiritual battle. So know you're on the right track when that spiritual battle begins. Busyness is probably one of those reasons that's an obstacle to us praying. We say, I'm just so busy, right? But we step back and we go, that doesn't make any sense. If I'm too busy to pray, I'm just downright too busy, (laughs) And we get caught in the tyranny of the urgent. Oh, this is so important, this is so important, that we neglect what's the most important, which is prayer. But a lot of times that gets us. Doubt and unbelief is an obstacle to pray. I wonder if God really hears my prayers, or if it's even going to change anything, or if this does any good. And We get stuck in doubt and unbelief. Sometimes laziness, just plain old laziness, keeps us from prayer. But whatever those obstacles are, let's make prayer our custom. Because fellowship with God is sweet. It's sweet. I really don't have to get like urged or exhorted or disciplined to drink coffee in the morning. Because it's just good. It's just good. It's a great way to start the day. And the more that we spend time in fellowship with God, the more we find his presence to be so sweet. I don't think Daniel was in this place many days and was like, oh, it's my prayer time again. I get more of this picture of Daniel rushing home to get alone with God. 
because he just loved to commune with God. So may we make it our custom because fellowship with God is sweet. That's the fourth characteristic. Let's, let's continue on. The story develops. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and make supplication before his God. Their plan worked. Daniel continues in prayer. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. He knows his hands are tied. So they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Daniel never loses his identity. Even though they tried to change his name, he's always known as a captive of Judah. Verse 14, And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased within himself, displeased with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Known, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. We see that Darius did have a love for Daniel and never intended for Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den. However, he didn't fully think about his actions before he did them. He didn't fully think about this decree before he put it in place. Maybe he just assumed that no one would have the audacity to pray to anybody but him for 30 days. It's a good lesson for us is don't make it law. Don't make it written in stone unless you're willing to follow through with it. And so many times we don't think about our actions before we do them. So here goes Daniel into the lion's den, and he says, look, your God, whom you serve, he will deliver you. Verse 17, Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel may not be changed. This is sealed He's in this lion's den. We'll see what takes place. Verse 18. Now when the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting and no musicians were brought before him, also his sleep went from him. So he's up all night, no food, no pleasure, wondering what's going to happen to Daniel. Then a king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? It went from a statement to a question. In verse 16, it was a statement, he will deliver you. Now by verse 20, it's a question. He's had all night to wrestle with the fact, is God going to save Daniel? Look at verse 21. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. And how sweet the sound of this 85 or so year old man coming from the lion's den. Oh, he's still alive. God saved him. God's glory is displayed through this lion's den experience. Notice the testimony of Daniel in verse 22. My God. It's personal. Darius is saying, your God. Daniel's saying, my God. Sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. What a view Daniel had all night. Here comes one angel. The angel just shuts the mouth of the lions. Not only a great view of the angel shutting the mouth of the lions, but some really great fellowship. I wonder what Daniel and this angel talked about all night long. (laughs) God's power. We think of things that threaten our lives. Maybe you're in a lion's den tonight. Not like Daniel's exactly, but your own difficult situation where your very life seems threatened. You're wondering if you're going to make it to the morning. Remember who God is. Remember who your father is. He created these lions. He's above all things. It's no big deal for him to deliver if he sees fit. 
If God chooses not to deliver, it's because he wanted us to endure that particular trial, not because he's not able. God shows his power here, shuts the mouth of the lions with the angel, so that they have not, so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him, and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Daniel knows he's innocent before God and before Darius. In verse 23, Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And this is the fifth noteworthy characteristic is his confidence in God. Even though he's being thrown into the lion's den, he trusted in God. And that's the commentary here. Because he believed in God. He trusted in the Lord's faithfulness. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul gives us a testimony of trusting in God. He says this in verse 9. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us and whom we trust, he will still deliver us. It's important for us to look back and go, God's delivered us from sin. He's delivered us from death. The greatest victory has been won. So we can trust that God's going to continue to be faithful in our lives. We think about it logically, okay? We go, okay, what's my greatest need? Salvation from sin. Eternity is secure in him. Faith in Jesus Christ. He's taking care of that. So if he's taking care of salvation, I can trust him with the details of this life. But yet we struggle with how are we going to get through this month? How are we going to get through this year? But if we can stop and look at the cross of Jesus Christ and go, I can trust him because I know that he's given his life for me. Why do you think Daniel could trust God in such a difficult situation? It comes out of his fellowship with God, knowing God intimately. And knowing God intimately and walking with God then results in trust in God in the midst of the lion's den. These last few verses point out how God receives the glory through this experience. And this is important. It's important for us to understand that God is concerned with his glory. This isn't about Daniel's comfort. It's about God receiving glory. Let's look at the next few verses. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who accused Daniel... And they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they'd ever come to the bottom of the den. This shows that these were not just some tame kitty cats down in this lion's den. It shows how miraculous it was for this angel to close their mouths because before they even hit the bottom, all of their bones are broken. Very tragic that their wives and their children are killed as well. The simple point is that our sin doesn't just affect us. A lot of times we think, well, I can just continue in sin. It's my life. I have the right to do this. Well, we'll go ahead, but it's going to affect those that you love the most. Verse 25, Then King Darius wrote, To all the peoples, nations, and language to dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. This letter is not just going out in a localized region, but to everyone that's underneath his reign, to all people, to all nations, to all languages, I make a decree that in every dominion, my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. God wants his message to go out, and sometimes he uses difficulty. He uses den of lions to cause his glory to go forward. Chapter 6 is not a promise that we're always going to be preserved from life-threatening situations. We know throughout Scripture that people are martyred. People are martyred today. The attitude for us to have is, God, I want you to receive glory whether it's my deliverance out of this lion's den or you take me home to be with you. That seems to be Daniel's heart. If he gets eaten up, he knows that he's walking with the Lord. He knows he's right with the Lord. So that's the attitude we're to have. Remember John the Baptist? He wasn't delivered. 
He was executed. So this isn't a promise that we're always going to get the get-out-of-jail-free card. We may get the get-to-go-to-heaven card, which is far better. So it's, Lord, by life or by death, I desire for you to receive glory. And it's through this lion's den experience that God's testimony goes out to all the nations of the earth. Our last verse, verse 28. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And this is where the idea where Darius could be the one leading the Medes and Cyrus the one leading the Persians. Now before you close your Bible, I just want you to flip over to one more verse because this man Cyrus was prophesied that he would come and that he would reign all the way back in Isaiah 45. So turn to the left to Isaiah 45. We're going to read the first four verses. Cyrus's reign was prophesied some 150 years before he was ever born. This shows the foreknowledge of God. And we'll conclude with Isaiah 45. First four verses, beginning in verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I've held, to subdue nations before him, and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you, And make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze. I will cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name in the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name and named you even though you've not known me. Isn't that incredible? (laughs) Hey, you're not even born yet but I'm calling you out so that you'll know that I'm the one true living God and that I'm doing this for Israel's sake. You may think I'm doing this just for you. No, I'm doing this for my people's sake, for my elect's sake. Let's seek to apply this message, application. I think one clear application is to walk in consistency, faithfulness, and integrity. Dear church, our relationship with God is not a sprint. It's not just loving God this year, this month, or this week, but it's a marathon. Daniel shows us that life of consistency. How does that happen? By making our custom to meet with God multiple times a day. Multiple times a day. And I really want us to stop and think about this and put a plan together. Maybe even before you go to bed tonight. Because it's just so easy to hear a message and have nothing change and say, you know what, before I head out the door, I'm going to meet with God and I'm going to pray. That's, that's your custom. Or, you know, before I go to bed at night, I'm just going to drop to my knees and I'm going to cry out to God. I'm going to have a, a, a time of prayer before God. And it's not that all of our prayer times are, you know, lightning bolts and we feel all this power and we have all these things to say. It's our heart communing with God and then listening to God. Uh, we, we make it our custom, our habit, my wife and I, to pray together before we go to sleep. And I'll confess to you, some of them are very short. They're very simple. Lord, thank you for this. We need your help with this. We love you. We're really tired. <sighs> Conk out, you know? But in other times, they're just, wow, they're, they're really neat times. And so, yes, you'll ebb and flow in terms of how dynamic they are, but the importance is that you're meeting with him. And maybe it's your, your lunch hour, and you've got some flexibility with your lunch hour. You say, you know what? I'm going to go take a walk in the parking lot and I'm going to talk with the Lord. But, but make it your custom. And then when you start to slip, you, you've done it for 21 days in a row, it is your habit, Then all of a sudden you don't for three or four days. Don't just throw it all away. Don't just go, oh, that was a bad idea. I knew I could never do it. Say, oh, I've got to get back up. I've got to get back into that, that routine. I want to get back with meeting with the Lord. So really this consistency, faithfulness, and integrity, it comes out of having a custom to, to meet with God. And then the other application is trust God's glory will be seen in the lion's den you face. Maybe you face the lion's den and you're staring down the lion. And the lion's got the shiny teeth and it seems like it's going to be the end of you. No, God's greater than the lion. And by life or by death, God's glory is going to be seen in that situation because he uses all things together for good. To those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And the good is that his glory is seen. Not necessarily that everything worked out for my benefit. 
Let's stand and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Daniel. It's, it's challenging. It's convicting. We do ask that you would show us and that we would choose uh, to make time to fellowship with you. It, it seems so ludicrous that we wouldn't, but we confess we do get busy. Doubt comes in and a whole variety of other things. And so, God, would you strengthen us in this area of fellowship with you? And out of that, would you allow us to be consistent Would you allow us to be faithful and have integrity? Would you give us that excellent spirit of Daniel? Lord, as you allow us to be thrown into the lion's den sometimes, may we trust you. May we be confident because you've given your son to us. So as we move into communion, would you bless this time in Jesus' name, amen. The communion table is available if you desire to stay for the next 10 or 15 minutes. Just worship, remember what the Lord has done, commune and fellowship with him. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, man, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. He desires to save you. If you're ready to turn away from your sins and confess Him as your Lord, and on this cold night in January, you know that something's missing in your life and God's drawing you. As we head into this worship time, please come down. We'd love to just introduce you to Jesus Christ. Also, if you're in that lion's den and you're wondering if you're going to make it, you're wondering if uh, the sun's going to shine tomorrow morning and you'd like prayer, please come and receive prayer. So let's continue in an attitude of worship. And if you need to get going, uh, please drive safely. And uh, we just pray that you'd be blessed tonight. belongs to you let every kingdom bow let every ocean roar let every heart adore you now praise belongs to you what can I do but sing joy I found is to lay a crown before my king.